Welcome to We Got Your Mac from SHI. If you're an enterprise executive or business leader trying to decide if Mac adoption at scale is right for your organization, this is the show for you. In each episode, we dive into what it means to adopt the Mac platform at scale and how to get there quickly with minimum disruption to your users and IT teams. This week's host is Victoria Barber. Welcome to episode 12 of We Got Your Mac. This is the final episode of our first season, and sadly, Kevin can't be with us today as he's unwell. However, I know he'd agree that it's been a fantastic experience, and we've learned a huge amount about podcasts during the process, as well as about how to deploy Mac at scale. So it's been five months since we started this journey with the aim of helping business and IT leaders to tackle the decision as to to whether Mac at scale is actually right for their organization. We tried to take this podcast from the thinking about it phase all the way through to I know how we get started. Over the course of the previous 11 episodes, we've spoken to a number of experts in various roles to learn as much as we could about the ins and outs of Mac adoption. We thought this would be a good opportunity to summarize some of the things we've learned. We've broken it down into four main topics. The first is why you should consider the Mac. The second is dealing with some of the common concerns and misconceptions about working with Mac at scale. The third, that's the things that you need to consider before adopting the Mac platform. And finally, there's the advice from all of our experts on how to actually get it done. So we've compiled some key points from previous episodes on each of these topics. Obviously, the first thing we need to ask was, why would a business that has already standardized on Windows or some other platform want to consider allowing employees to work on a Mac? When we did this, we found there are a few good reasons. Firstly, there's the total cost of ownership of Macs versus Windows devices, which can show that while a Mac's price tag may be higher than a comparable PC, the Mac can actually be cheaper in the long term because of things like reduced support costs, reduced downtime, longer device life cycles, and greater residual value. Field CTO Dave Groover had a lot to say on that subject in episodes two and three. It kind of comes down to personas, right? Can you find personas that will benefit from this platform? And can you identify real benefits? Maybe you get better total cost of ownership out of your Mac because you get a longer life cycle and you can potentially reduce help desk calls, you know, excellent hardware quality that has less warranty calls, things like that can be an advantage. First of all, we've got to consider the cost. And you mentioned TCO. We all have a tendency to use jargon, but TCO, that's total cost of ownership over the lifetime of the device. So what do you need to take into account when you're calculating that, If you're particularly if you're in this, at this point of comparing different device types? You've got to think about what's your upfront purchase cost. That's a key one. How long will you keep that device? Yeah. I may be keeping certain, you know, Windows devices I may keep for three years. Mac devices have really good long life cycles, maybe four or five years. So I've got to break down that upfront cost into an annual cost. That's the first and that's the easiest step along the way. Then you've got to think about, do I need additional software to support this device? Or perhaps do I need less software? Maybe I'm paying for licenses for some Windows devices that aren't appropriate or necessary on the Mac, and I can remove that cost. Maybe I need to purchase additional licensing for, say, a management software, such as something like Jamf. That's an additional cost. So you need to think about those licensing costs. You also need to ensure that the products you already have are licensed. Some licenses can restrict 
how that product is used across different platforms. That's one of those gotchas, right? If you don't think about that ahead of time, you go to roll it out and it's like, let's go. It's like, wait a minute, we can't run this piece of, this critical piece of software on this platform, right? So you need to think about license costs are a very good next step to look at. Yeah. Then you need to think about support costs. But one of the most compelling reasons for introducing Max into the organization was that it helps with attracting and retaining top talent. We heard from a number of our guests that device choice can be a huge incentive for young people who are just joining the workforce. More and more of them use Apple devices at home, so they expect to be able to work on the same kind of technology in their jobs. It's the look and feel. People want to be cool in, in California. You know, he's on to something, though, because with the competitive landscape, especially here in Silicon Valley, we're trying to hire top talent from all four corners of planet Earth, right? So when we're trying to hire the best and brightest, they are really trying to accommodate what these employees want. And operating your day-to-day tasks on a Mac is truly seen as a, as a status symbol and a perk that they offer to their employees. With all these people you're talking to, Dave, what are the reasons that they want to go about deploying Mac at scale? What are the drivers for it? You see a variety of things. I mean, one of them is a lot of them want to meet their new employees where they are. The emerging workforce or, you know, sub 30 year old workforce, there are a lot of Mac natives there. They're comfortable with the platform. They know how to use the platform. They're productive with the platform. If they're used to Mac and you give them Windows, it's a bit of a jarring impact. And it can even have an impact on how they perceive that company. So that's one aspect. One of the reasons why we're, we're going down the this path with Mac One, I think it's a great platform, but two, even from a recruiting perspective and a really challenging market, choice is is an interesting value added benefit for when these, when we're talking to new engineers and new resources for for our organization. So giving them the choice to choose between a Mac and a Windows and and whatever, not limiting them is actually a a nice sales pitch. It's (laughs) for whatever reason, it's one of those things that we're seeing a higher success rate with recruiting because of it. So interesting, something to think about. Choice is a big thing right now. People, when you hire, you know, the the crowd that comes out of college, they want to have choices, right? They have different beliefs than maybe when we started in our careers. And there's a different generation that really looks at, hey, I want to be happy. I want to be productive. I want to do fun things. And, you know, and I want to have choice. You know, I don't think it's a secret that, you know, Windows is, you know, the majority of the corporate world, mainly because of the systems that enterprise is built on. But I think Mac is what people are comfortable with. And it's like the computer for consumers and people. And employees are consumers and employees are people, right? So it kind of makes sense when people want to use Mac in the workplace. They just want to use what they're comfortable with and, and what's reliable. And I think it could be intimidating to IT, especially when you have, you know, individuals and SMEs who their background is Windows management. But I think that's coming to an end. Another theme that emerged as we explored the ins and outs of deploying Mac at scale was that there are a lot of common concerns and misconceptions about using Mac in the workplace. Compliance and security are obviously major concerns for IT teams, and with good reason. In episode five, field CISO Brad Bowers covered both of these aspects and showed us that Macs can fit in with PCs without any real concerns. What's important is to remember is that most companies do have some sort of compliance requirement, and it's just been an assumption historically that Mac isn't compatible with these. Apple's done a really good job of moving things to the right. And when I say that, I'm referring to making it so it's more of a 
corporate, sustainable, easy to integrate into business processes and solutions, and really just making it so it has the same level of accoutrements and controls that can be applied to it. And this is why we're starting to see the the Macs more and more leveraged in corporate environments. And this comes down to the tools that they've done natively, but also just how they're being used and what controls can be applied around them. The compliance piece is absolutely huge. So a stumbling block that the Macs have always had is, I can't put the same level of monitoring, the same level of compliance pieces, the same level of checks and boundaries that I need in order to allow them to be widely used across the organization. That has really changed. With the adoption of just changes that Microsoft has made in their stack from an Active Directory perspective, to really more of the things that Apple has brought into the mix, you now can have that same level of control. And the common ones that we see are, well, I have a requirement because I'm a publicly traded company that I have things like when I log into the machine, I'm presented with a banner that says, you're logging into a corporate asset to enforcing password, complexity, compliance and histories, things like that. Two, not being able to add applications. All of those are elements that historically had made it a little bit more difficult to bring the Macs into the corporate environment. Those are now native. They can be done now much easier. When it comes to security, there's a common myth that Macs don't attract the same kind of attacks or malware as PCs. But Brad told us that that's not actually true. There have actually been a few high-profile examples of Mac malware recently, but because of Apple's closed ecosystem and some of the steps they've taken to verify applications, the Mac does actually have some security advantages over Windows. The PCs have the scars on their back from decades of, of having both nation-state actors, malicious users, malware viruses coming after those targets for a very, very long time. And as the the Macs have gotten more popular, they're starting to see some of that and they're starting to weather through it. And they're doing a pretty good job. I mean, we're seeing them uh, be able to deal with the same level and complexities of attacks that we've seen on even the most hardened PCs. So a big chunk of what makes the Macs very secure is the fact that they do a much better job than a lot of their competitors when it comes to monitoring approving and really analyzing the applications that are supported on the devices. This is something that had historically been a reason why iOS devices like the the iPhone and the iPads were more inherently secure than some of the competitors because of that closed ecosystem. Since Apple requires that any application that is run on these devices be signed by a valid Apple certificate, come from a known good source. Now there's ways around that, but the fact that that extra layer of control is being put in place, it means that it's that much harder for attackers to be able to be successful in running a malicious attack or doing their social engineering piece uh, as it would be against maybe a PC. When it comes to networks, People are often worried that because the Mac is so different from a Windows PC, it's not going to play nicely on their networks. But in episode four, Tom Rice explained that that's not an issue because Mac runs 
on the same fundamental technologies as Windows. I think that's still a very real concern today. I think if I had to put an overarching statement on it, the, the thought process from those people, especially those who haven't used Macs or not familiar with them at a technical level, are that Macs are different yeah. and they won't work in our, our network. But Macs are fundamentally using the same technologies that any IT device is going to be using. They connect to the network with the same protocols. They use the same methodologies to print. They run the same software. So the conception that if I bring Macs onto my network, I'll have to change the architecture. Or I'll have to put in completely new systems or this won't work because it only works on this type of platform is a big hurdle that we, we struggle with to get make sure people understand. And I say struggle, it's just making sure they understand the fact that you're not fundamentally changing things. You're just saying you're bringing a new you know device into the network, just as you may switch from a Mazda to a Toyota. You're bringing your device on and the, this will work the exact same way that your Mazda worked. Application compatibility used to be a major concern for a lot of organizations because there was a time when Mac users got a completely different version of the application to Windows users. But those days are long over. More and more of the most used applications, like Microsoft's Office Suite, for example, are now completely cross-platform. And in many cases, they're fully web-based. So for those Mac users that do need to run an application that's only compatible with Windows, there are still things like virtualization or cloud PCs that can be used. Dave Groover and Steve Weiner both addressed this for us in episodes two and nine, respectively. Probably the number one thing is application compatibility. Hmm. And you sort of see some general alignment. An older, more mature company with older apps that was built in, perhaps, you know, built on a Windows platform, they've got thick client apps that are run, they may have challenges running those on Macs. If those are critical business applications, that's gonna limit who your targets for those Mac devices are. That's probably number one. The reality is if you're using Office 365 or you're working on a lot of web-based apps, Salesforce is a good example, or maybe using the Google suite, whatever, you're gonna be fine with a Mac. I look at it in three tiers, right? Like, you know, there was a time where Office for Mac was very different than Office for PC. That's over. Right. So here's the deal. If, if you're basic, if, you, if you're a user and your bread and butter is productivity apps like Microsoft Office, you're good to go. Let's take it a next tier. Let's say you use Visio or Project, things that aren't Mac native. I could very easily use a product like, you know, Parallels to, to virtualize Windows on Apple Silicon because Windows has Apple Silicon native, you know, ARM friendly versions, separate thing. But that's easy. My next tier would be something I can't virtualize. I can just go to cloud PCs. And if I go to cloud PCs, I don't need VDI background or expertise. I could just deploy that. So you're covered. You just got to understand where those tiers are and which users fall into those tiers. Now, our third theme is the considerations that need to be made. So what are some of the things that business leaders and IT teams need to consider before they decide to commit to going all in on, on Mac at scale. One recurring topic was the training element, and, and a lot of people underestimate this. So when we talked to both Kristen Hubler in episode eight and Matt Carey in episode seven, they both stressed the need to consider proper training on the Mac, even for those who may be used to using one at home. We've recently found that some of our colleagues and maybe friends as well, who've opted to start using Mac, particularly 
at work have actually found adapting to them has taken maybe a little longer than either of us expected. (laughs) It's funny. I like to compare it to like getting in a rental car. You know, you get from the airport, you know how to drive. You've been in a car before, so it's nothing new. And yet it can feel like a spaceship sometimes where, you know, you don't know where everything is and you might take a few minutes and you can figure it out. But at the end of the day, are you actually using all the features of that car? Do you know where the heated seats are? Do you know how to use cruise control? Most of the time people don't. And so when we switch to devices, it can be very easy to oversimplify and just think, all right, yeah, I did it here. I can do it over there. But there's always a learning curve, even when it's easy to use and even when you love it. Because for most organizations, it's a common story I see all the time. The pandemic pushed everybody to the technology, to the remote work, and everyone did an amazing job. You know, we survived. Uh, IT teams rolled things out as quickly as they could, provided the support they could. But to this day, I can't tell you how many times I get on a meeting with someone, whether it be WebEx, Zoom, Teams, and people don't know about those simple features that make life not, not only more like productive and efficient, but just better, easier. It makes you enjoy your work more. And so not only do we need to be aware, as you said, Victoria, of those those differences between a PC versus Mac, but also knowing that people still need more training. They need more awareness around what is in the tools, even if they've been using them for years, because there's likely a lot more that they're not aware of. The training element was a little different trying to get that adoption and and walking these walking some of the executives through how to log in, how to look at your file structure differently. A lot of the stuff that if you have worked on a Mac for a long time, it just comes very easy, but your hotkeys are different. Everything is different about the Mac OS, but it is a process. And it I think we didn't realize it was as much of a process and we didn't have necessarily the the right internal mechanisms in place to deal with some of those questions because there's more questions than we anticipated. So I think that as if we're as we if we were to redo this strategy and communication would absolutely be more on the forefront than just focusing on the technology side. When deciding who should be able to use a Mac, both Tom Rice and Steve Weiner recommended not just solving for the fringe or making large policy decisions based on the needs of a small number of users. The other part of that question is is more introspective and I think harder for organizations to answer. You know, you'd mentioned about, oh, we have this tool set because this one function five people in our company use and that's why we bought it. And so you really have to ask the hard question is, well, do do those five people need it? And is there not another tool that does something maybe not the same, but similar that is now cross-platform? And that takes a little bit more look in the mirror kind of approach and hard decisions that have to be made, especially because you know those five people will be upset. Even if you're in a 100,000 person company, you don't want to upset those five people who have used this tool their entire lives. We call it like, you know, workforce analysis. A big thing we do is looking at, you know, how do you group your users and what do they do? And we never solve for the fringe. The, the worst thing someone could do is bring up to me, well, let's say I'm going to move to Mac. Ah, I can't because, you know, I have certain users who do X, Y, and Z. What's the numbers on that? Is it 2%? Are we really going to make these broad strategy changes for, for 2%? Or outliers? No, you, you leave the fringe because by the time you've done addressing the, the masses, the fringe might have solved itself because those are just big changes that have to be made. If so-and-so can't use a Mac or use a cloud solution or use a insert whatever technology, 
because they're stuck on an app that some independent service person is still managing for them and it's one guy, that's not sustainable anyway. Finally, we heard a lot of great advice from our guests about how to get started with Mac adoption. Both Dave Groover and Henry Patel gave us some really great tips for building a business case. What would be your top three tips for building a business case out of everything we've discussed? Make sure you've got the green dollars, the hard dollars to support your basic premise and understand where that sits. When it comes to soft dollars, don't overpromise. And then if you exceed that, scream to the high hills about how good you did. And then I think the other one is really think through your timing. Make sure you've thought through the timing of implementation, when you'll spend, when you'll get returned. And if I can add a fourth one, just know your audience. Know who you're talking to at various aspects of this business case development. Really mapping out who the stakeholders are here, right? Why would this be important to the company, number one? Why would choice be important? Why would and who would be most interested in in helping kind of make choice happen because it's in their vested interest, right? So when you think about different stakeholders, right? If you if you we think about our HR team, right? Because they're recruiting people, right? Or trying to retain people, that's an important stakeholder. Clearly, finance is a stakeholder because they're going to want to know what is this thing going to cost, right? There's the acquisition cost versus the residual value. You know, Apple has different programs. You have different programs to help support it, right, in terms of leasing, et cetera. But you can realize the long-term benefit of the Mac, you know, because you do have that high residual value. The thing next to layer on is your, you know, your support teams. Like, hey, how much are we spending on, you know, supporting, you know, the Mac today, the PCs today? You know, do we have the right staffing? What if we brought in the right staffing? You may not be able to have that direct conversation, but your management layers may, right? And you need to go solicit that help. So there's some fundamental things is really just understanding if we want, if you want to bring choice into the program, uh, if you're at the mid layer, then you got to work your way up. If you're a top layer, then you have access to a lot of stakeholders already. So it's about building the business case for it and talking to the right ones. We also heard from Jess Craver in episode one and Kristen Hubler in episode eight about the importance of alignment and change management. I do think that's so important when you're deploying Mac at scale is empower your team. There are so many people that make this type of thing successful from your service desk to your asset management team lead or you know whatever their title may be to even a trusted partner that has experience in doing this because it's not easy but you know when your team is empowered to do it tap into resources that are available to you whether that's you know your Apple account team, right? They have a ton of resources you can tap into to be successful. And that's going to be in any type of change management. When you deploy technology, you need to do a certain amount of discovery. You need to ask your end users, how are you working? Ask those people that are developing those tools, making those decisions, you know, what are your plans six months down the road, 12 months down the road, and make sure that you're able to to kind of plan around that and incorporate that into what you're doing. Don't make assumptions. Don't assume that it's going to be easy for everyone. Don't assume everyone knows like the jargon you're using, the language. If you talk about even an operating system, you'd be surprised how many people don't even understand what you mean with that or a browser, like simple terms. So making sure that you know, you're not making any assumptions of the capabilities or the workflows when you're deploying technology. If you do have assumptions, make sure you validate them before doing any large changes. 
Finally, there's support. We learned that it's incredibly important to offer first-rate support for Mac users to avoid confusion and frustration. Christian Hubler recommends on-demand support to help reinforce training, while Tom Rice in episode four recommends ensuring that everyone in the organization can get the same level of support regardless of the platform that they use. In episode 10, Henry Patel told us about his experience of working with Fletcher Previn at IBM and how important it was that they built out a dedicated Apple support team to make sure that they had the right expertise in place. Establish some sort of on-demand support. This might be e-learning, this might be an intranet site, anything that people can go to after that live training, after that push, uh, you know, you if you do everything right, you've probably done a communication plan, you've given them documents to reference, something like that. But the next week, they're going to be at that, that computer and they're going to forget what you told them. They're going to forget everything that was shared. So make sure you have some sort of source of truth they can visit and then teach people to fish. <laughs> so we don't want the only way for people to get help to be submitting an IT help desk ticket. Okay, nobody wants that. We want to decrease those. So make sure you establish whatever it may look like at your org, some way for people to go and, and help themselves and keep that training going all year long. The key takeaway, I think, though, is you don't want to make your Mac users or any any other user of a platform that's not your predominant platform feel like a second-class citizen. They should contact whatever level of support you're using, whether it's a managed service provider, whether it's a person who is, you know, comes in for a few hours every day, um, but is on call, whether it's a dedicated person from your IT team who you decided to going to support Macs, and be able to get the same level of support and resolution for their problems that any other user in your organization would get. A good example is several years ago in 2015, you know, we work with IBM when they set up their Mac practice, right? They had Macs, they were managed in a very different way, but they wanted to scale up. And so, you know, we went in there with them and talked about how they could do that with Jamf. But they themselves realized that they needed to bring in the right talent, right? And the right talent wasn't just in the administrative portion of it, right? It's not just the technical implementation. It was also the back-end technical support, right? They built a Apple-specific you know, help desk. They brought in people who knew Apple, who knew the Mac, who knew iPhones, right? Because that expertise you can't teach overnight. That takes time. So that concludes season one of We Got Your Mac. We'd like to thank all of our guests for their insights. And of course, we'd like to thank you, the listeners. Now, if you haven't listened to all of the episodes, why not listen to a bit more of some of the ones we've given you clips from today? Or if you're particularly focused on sustainability, you could try episode six, where I talked to Alison Mitchell from Mobile Resell. Or even better, go back to episode one and listen from the start. I have to admit, I was asked to pick a couple of my favorite episodes to recommend, but I can't because they're all so different and there's so much good advice in all of them. We're off for a break now, and we're looking forward to returning with a new format for season two. If you have have any feedback or requests for what you'd like to see in season two, you can email us at wegotyourmac at shi.com. For bonus material and to be the first to hear about our plans for season two, you can find our LinkedIn and other social media links at wegotyourmac.com. Thank you and thank you so much for listening. We Got Your Mac is produced by SHI International, a trusted global provider of end-user computing, hybrid infrastructure, and cybersecurity solutions to many of the world's most demanding technology users. 
SHI has more than 20 years' experience helping private and public sector organizations adopt Apple technologies and is an authorized Apple reseller. To be the first to hear or watch new episodes, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and hit the notifications icon. Visit WeGotYourMac.com or SHI.com to solve what's next in delivering Mac at scale across your organization. Thank you.